Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the At TSN Hockey Bobcast, Season 2, Episode 7. This one for Friday, December 15th. 2017. I guess we could call this the pre-Christmas edition or the pre-holiday edition if you don't happen to celebrate Christmas. In any case, best of the season to you and your family. I guess we can also call this the pre-World Junior Championship edition. Uh, As the World Juniors are coming fast and furious, they open, of course, on December 26th in Buffalo. And uh, this episode of the Bobcast is coming to you live. Well, not really live, but you know what I mean. From lovely St. Catharines, Ontario which is the site of Canada's selection camp for that World Junior Championship. I've been here all week since Monday, and uh, I guess there's not really any point in trying to drill down or talk too much about Team Canada at the World Juniors on this Bobcast, because a number of hours after uh, I unplugged this microphone, uh, Team Canada is going to make some final decisions on its roster, so there's no point in uh, dating the Bobcast Um, before we even get it out to you guys. So um, we'll stay away from specific stuff, but we've got all sorts of uh, general world junior stuff that we can talk about and a number of questions on that front. But I should point out, it's it's always great to get to a place like St. Catharines. I love going around to some of the cities in Ontario um, and especially places uh, with a junior hockey history or a rich hockey history. And St. Catharines is certainly that. Personally, I, what I remember St. Catharines most for and where we stayed here the most often was our family coming down here for kids lacrosse. Uh, my son Mike, my son Sean, both of them had some spirited rivalries with the, uh, the St. Catharines athletics in, uh, in the old lacrosse and uh, field lacrosse, box lacrosse. It, it doesn't get any better. And it, it always, when I come to St. Catharines, it always reminds me of the Rick Dudley story. And, and Rick Dudley, of course, is a... Uh, an executive in the National Hockey League, currently work, works with the Montreal Canadiens for Mark Bergevin. And, and Duds is a, a hockey lifer, if you will. Um, great guy, to, to great war stories from the old days. And uh, uh, what I remember most about St. Catharines and Rick Dudley is the fact that he was playing lacrosse. He, he wasn't even playing junior hockey anywhere. And, and Rick Dudley was a guy, he was a great lacrosse player. And uh, so he was playing lacrosse, and I, I think it was Hap Ems, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't think it might have been Rudy Pellis or Hap Ems. Probably Hap Ems. In any case, it doesn't matter who it was. But the junior hockey executive was watching a lacrosse game, and Rick Dudley was playing in that lacrosse game. Now, Duds was a, a prolific scorer, but he was also a very tough guy. Uh, and in the old days, he could really drop the gloves and was quite a fearsome guy in terms of the fighting. So I, I guess after a particularly violent lacrosse game where there had been a number of fights in Dudley and been involved in several of them, I believe it was Hap Ems who came up to him just unannounced after the game and said, excuse me, uh, do you play hockey? And he says, well, yeah, I play hockey, but not at any, any great level. And he says, okay. He says, what you did in that lacrosse game today, do you think you could do that in a hockey game? 
And Rick Dudley said, well, there's no doubt in my mind I could do that. Well, sure enough, uh, they signed him to, to play. And in the 1968-69 season in the OHA, Rick Dudley played 26 games for the Chicago Black, uh, sorry, the St. Catharines Blackhawks. He got eight goals, 15 points, and had 43 penalty minutes. And that launched basically a tremendous pro hockey career. That was the only junior hockey that Rick Dudley ever played. So let's see here. He was born in 1949, so in 1968. So he, it would have been his 20-year-old his, his season. Uh, his last year of junior hockey eligibility uh, was the only time he got 26 games in in junior, and then he went on to play in the, the Central League, the International League, the American League, worked his way up, got to the Buffalo Sabres, and uh, established a National Hockey League career, and then, of course, became famous for going to the WHA with the Cincinnati Stingers and wearing a headband, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. He uh, ended up with 309 NHL games, 292 penalty minutes. His WHL totals were even more impressive 270 games played, 131 goals, 277 points. So better than a point a game in the WHA, but here's the one I like, 516 penalty minutes. So I guess when Duds told Hap Ems or whomever it was if he could uh, do in a hockey game what he did in a lacrosse game, the answer is yes. And, of course, Rick Dudley went on to uh, to be a head coach in the National Hockey League, a general manager, uh, so one of those great uh, – Great stories, and that's what I always think of when uh, when I get to St. Catharines. Well, since it is coming up to the World Junior Championship season, uh, let's get to some uh, WJC-oriented questions from the listeners. First one comes from Rowdy Van Grieken from Breezend in the Netherlands. Rowdy Van Grieken. That is a quality handle, Rowdy, i got to tell you, and thanks very much for being a, a listener in uh, in the Netherlands. Hi, Bob. First of all, your show is fantastic. Love the insight you give and the personal stories that you're willing to share with us fans. And as you can see by this email, your stories are heard across the entire planet. Uh, like a lot of listeners, I'm a big fan of the World Juniors, and I can't wait to see it all unfold again on Boxing Day. I always cheer for Canada, and I love the atmosphere during Canada versus USA, for example. I do admit that I miss the turnout for games like Finland versus Czech Republic, like we will see when the tournament is played in Europe. But that, of course, won't happen until 2020. My question, therefore, is, and I know that some Canadian listeners won't appreciate this, why does Canada host the event every second year, and what is your opinion on it? Well, Rowdy, uh, I think there's a pretty obvious reason why Canada has been hosting the, uh, the World Junior Championships every other year for quite some time now, and I think really it boils down to, to money and marketing. Um, the, the World Junior Tournament is just so much more of a big deal in Canada than it is almost anywhere else. Now, that's not to say it shouldn't be played anywhere else. It should. And I'll be honest with you. The fact that we, we had the, in 2015, Toronto and Montreal shared the, uh, the World Junior Championship. It went to Finland in 2016. In 2017, we were back to Toronto and Montreal sharing it again. And this year, 2018, of course, is in Buffalo. I uh, should point out that in 2019, it's going to back in Canada again. There's your other, every other year, 15 in Toronto, Montreal, 17 in Montreal, Toronto, and 19, it's going to Vancouver, Victoria. So looking forward to going out west next year. In 2020, as Rowdy pointed out, the tournament is going back to the Czech Republic. 
And in fact, it's going to Ostrava in the Czech Republic. So if you uh, remember a previous Bobcast edition, you will recall that in the 1994 World Junior Championships in Ostrava, in the Czech Republic, that is the infamous Snake Lady story. I don't have the episode number off the top of my head, but uh, if you Google Snake Lady, maybe it'll come up on an episode of the Bobcast. But anyways, Ostrava, back to Ostrava. I may have to go back and check out the Snake Lady. I think, I don't know, I don't think she's aged that well, neither have I. But uh, in any case, uh, Czech Republic in 2020. Now, it's also back to Canada in 2021 so do you sense the pattern here well rowdy pointed it out 15 toronto montreal 17 montreal toronto 19 vancouver victoria 2021 to be determined although a lot of people think that edmonton is the clear front runner with uh, calgary and red deer being the pilot or secondary cities that would go along with edmonton any in any case back to rowdy's point um we might be reaching a saturation, especially, um, I, I know for a fact, we've reached a saturation point in southern Ontario. It sounded like a good idea at the time to do Toronto-Montreal in 15 and 17, but I don't know. It, uh, it, it, it just, I think it got to be too much. There was so much happening in Toronto, especially with other events, that uh, it, it might have got lost a little bit in the shuffle. And the fact that it's in Buffalo and you're really asking a lot of the same Canadians in the Southern Ontario market, the Golden Horseshoe area, from Toronto around to Niagara, to come back and support the tournament one more time. It's going to be interesting to see what the ticket sales are going to be like here in Buffalo. Um, so, as I said, maybe a bit of a saturation point for the Southern Ontario market when it comes to the World Juniors. I'm sure it'll be successful in 19 in Vancouver and Victoria, and it'll be great to go back to Edmonton, Calgary, and Red Deer if that's the case in 2021 um, but there's a lot to be said for when it is held in uh, in in foreign countries in in europe uh, it'll be great in the czech republic but the the attendant overall attendance and the overall revenues that are generated from this tournament and what it means to the growth of junior hockey worldwide um, it's hard to put a value on that and i'm sure the double ihf recognizes that uh, uh, that Big attendance and big dollars um, drive this tournament like no other when it's in Canada um, or in the United States and close to Canada. So that's kind of the, the explanation for, for why it is that it's uh, every other year in Canada. Now, what happens beyond 2021 vis-a-vis -vis Canada? Uh, I'm not sure at this point, but uh, we will see. All right, next World Junior-related question comes from Bill in Philadelphia. Hey, Bob, big fan of the show, especially the shows around the World Juniors. Seemingly every year at the World Juniors, there is one Russian player who plays in the KHL that is lesser known to North Americans but emerges as the talked-about prospect once the tournament is over. In the past, it's been Kirill Kaprizov and Pavel Buchnevich. Who could that player be on this year's Russian team? Bill from Philadelphia. Well, thanks for the question, Bill. And, and you're right. I mean, Kaprizov was terrific uh, in last year's tournament and uh, even the year before that, if I remember correctly. And uh, as a Minnesota Wild uh, prospect, who the Minnesota Wild can't really get to come over right now because he's busy playing in the KHL, that's a little frustrating for them. But you're right. He was a big deal in, in last year's tournament. Buchnevich, same thing uh, for the, the now New York Ranger. So who could that player be on this year's team? Well, 
I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm far from an expert on on Russian players, especially those that play in the KHL. But I put our crack research team, that would be me, uh, on it. And uh, when I don't know something about the Russian under twenty program, I tend to email or call my friend Peter Tarashenkov. Um, Peter travels with the uh, the Russian team during the uh, the old Super Series where they play two games against the West, two games against Ontario, and two games against uh, Quebec. And he seems to spend and know and hang around with head coach Valerie Bragg in a fair bit, so he seems to have a handle on who's hot and who's not in the world of under-20 Russian hockey. And I asked Peter if there was a particular candidate from this year's Russian national junior team who might do what Kaprasov has done. And he what he told me was that this is a different year um, for the KHLers or the, the, the Russians at home uh, that will play on the Russian World Junior Team, that there, there's not as much marquee value this year, that there's not uh, very many, if any, um, guys who are going to be on the World Junior Team that are front and center on their teams in the KHL. A lot of them are playing junior hockey or, or a lower level, not the KHL, at home, one name that he he did mention to me was Mikhail Maltsev, a New Jersey Devil fourth round pick in 2016. He's played 17 games for SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL. He's got zero goals and, and five assists, six foot three, 200 plus pounds. So maybe that's a guy that um, that could uh, could be a candidate. I know he had uh, two goals in six games on the cross country uh, CIBC. Russia series, Russia versus the WHL, OHL, and QMJHL series that happened in in November. So we'll see if uh, Maltsev is able to to step up in some way. Valerie Bragan, of course, is back as the coach for the umpteenth consecutive year. It's always great to see uh, see Bragan behind the bench. Not a lot of emotion, not a lot of smiles, but uh, looks to me like he's he's got a pretty good handle on uh, on how to coach and. Uh, He's, he's one of those faces that's very familiar to all of us at the uh, the World Junior Championship. I guess the bigger question is, um, Bragan really likes 19-year-olds, uh, tends to go with a much more experienced team. Um, and this year, I would suggest that most of the marquee value on the Russian team will come from players who are playing um, in North America, mostly junior hockey, but obviously pro hockey too. Um, St. Louis Blue first-rounder Klim Kostin, uh, has two goals, 11 points in 24 games with um, uh, San Antonio, St. Louis's firm team in the American League. Of course, Costin was the 31st overall pick in the last draft, uh, the last guy in the first round for St. Louis. But um, looking at the list of the other guys from North American junior hockey that have been invited to the camp, you've got Vitaly Abramov, who was recently traded from Gatineau to Victoriaville in the Quebec League, Columbus Blue Jacket prospect. Uh, you've got uh, Alexei Lipinov, who's a uh, Tampa Bay prospect, taken in the last draft, the uh, third round, I believe, second, third round, who um, who's playing very well for the Barry Colts. Um, German Rubstoff, uh, the Philadelphia Flyer first-round pick from 2016, uh, recently traded from Shakutami to Acadie Bathurst in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. You got another 19-year-old forward who's uh, putting up some numbers. Um, Dmitry Sokolov playing the Minnesota seventh rounder, who's playing for the Sudbury Wolves and is uh, filling the net for Sudbury this year. And of course, the the, the most marquee value of all, 
is uh, Andrei Svechnikov, who just recently returned from uh, uh, a banged-up hand that required surgery. I think what he's got is called boxer's knuckle. It's all like ligament tendon damage that he had surgery for, but he's back playing for the Barry Colts, and he's a potential number one overall pick in this year's draft. I know Rasmus Dahlin gets that title uh, for most people, and I think that's fair, but the uh, the, the most legitimate challenger to Dahlin um, for number one in the draft this year is Svechnikov, and I realize he's draft eligible, and I realize Bragan likes older guys, but I think all the NHL scouts as well as the fans who are buying tickets for this event, have their fingers crossed that Svechnikov will find his way onto that Russian team. There are some uh, defensemen also that uh, from North America, Alexeyev, Manulin, Samarukov, the big kid from Guelph, um, as well as the goaltender, Burden. Um, so we'll see what, what Bragan does with his lineup. But uh, I guess the bottom line on Rowdy's, uh, sorry, on, uh, on Bill from Philadelphia's question is that... Uh, most of the big names on the Russians this year are likely to be the guys that have been playing hockey in North America and are, are fairly recognizable to everybody. Okay, uh, next question, another World Junior one, comes from uh, Derek uh, from Buffalo, actually. Hi, Bob. Being in Buffalo, New York, I'm very excited for the upcoming World Juniors. I plan on being at the outdoor game between Canada and the U.S., as well as going to see Eli Tolvanen and Rasmus Dahlin. My question for you is what other prospects slash games would you recommend seeing this year? Thank you for taking the time to record the pod and answer questions. I enjoy it and look forward to it every two weeks. That's Derek in Buffalo. Well, Derek, the great thing about the World Junior Championship is you can never go wrong. Every game's got some attraction, and I'm looking at the potential and the preliminary rosters for all these teams, and I just mentioned the Russians. You know, Svechnikov, if he's there, Lipinov, Kostin, Rubstov. Um, you mentioned Rasmus Dahlin from Sweden. Everybody's very excited to see him, but he's by no means the, the only Swede that's going to be attracting a lot of attention. Um, Vegas Golden Knights have a very exciting prospect in Eric Brandstrom, the, the smaller defenseman who can really skate and move the puck. And Toronto Maple Leaf fans will be looking to see how Timothy Liljegren um, from the Toronto Marlies does. And, of course, um, maybe the guy who everybody's anticipating the most based on how he's played in the Swedish Hockey League this year, Elias Pettersson, the Vancouver Canuck first-rounder from last year's draft. Uh, Canuck fans are over the moon about how he's dominating the SHL this year and what he might do in his peer group. So uh, New York Ranger fans will want to see Elias Anderson, their first-round pick from last year. So the Swedes will be a, a real tough team to handle, and they've got a lot of marquee value um, both drafted and, and to be drafted on their lineup. Um, you know, Derek, your home team, the, the Americans, Logan Brown, Casey Middlestad, Brady Kachuk, Kyler Yamamoto, Quinn Hughes, Adam Fox, um, the goaltenders, Wall and Ottinger. There's lots of star power and NHL, prospective NHL talent on that American team. The Czechs will be fun to watch. I mean, New York Ranger fans will want to see how Philip Cheadle uh, who's been playing in the American Hockey League for uh, for their farm team, does, and, and Philip Zadina, the goal-scoring winger from the Halifax Mooseheads, he's a top 10, top 5 prospect for this year's draft. Um, Canada's first game in the tournament is December 26th against the Finns, and I'm looking at this Finnish roster, and I'm looking at their defense, and I'm going, oh my God, are you kidding me? Look at these guys. Miro Heskin in the, the first rounder from from uh, from Dallas. Valamaki, the, the Calgary Flame first rounder. Ole Ulevi, 
Vancouver fans will be pretty excited to see what uh, what he's been doing after playing this season in the uh, in the Finnish league. Vaka nine and Yoka Harju up front. They've got uh, Yanni Kuokinen from the uh, the Carolina Hurricane organization, and of course, if if Pedersen's been ripping up the um, the the Swedish league, and uh, and Eli Tolvanen has been doing that in the KHL, um, the Nashville prospect. Uh, so there, there's so much star power in in this in this tournament, and the Finns, in addition to having Tolvanen, and um, Alexei Heponiemi, who's been lighting it up for Swift Current in the Western League, and and if he makes the team, Rasmus Kapari, um, the draft eligible. So uh, Derek from Buffalo, uh, buy a ticket to any game because as I go through and scan these rosters, uh, pretty much every team's got lots of potential NHL talent and lots of guys that are uh, being highly touted for this year's NHL draft. One final world junior type question. Hey, my name is Chris Archer. I'm a huge fan of yours and what you guys do at TSN. I'll keep my question short. Watching Canada versus USA at the world juniors last year, has there ever been talk of doing an eight game summit series like a few years ago with the Russians, but do it against the USA? Those eight games would be classics. Well, Chris, I've got to tell you, I don't think there are any plans at this point in time to do an eight-game summit series between Canada and the U.S., but boy, oh boy, I, I like how you're thinking. I think the problem now is the international calendar is, uh, is just too full. Um, the, the pressures and the time constraints on all these kids between the National Hockey League and the, the various international tournaments, their junior leagues, you name it, they're being pushed and pulled in so many different directions. Uh, the, the, the concept of doing an eight-game series between Canada and the U.S., as appealing as it is as a hockey fan, because I think the salient point here is that in junior hockey and maybe even hockey period, um, Canada's primary rival now is the U.S., and there is this pervasive feeling in Canada that the U.S. is not only catching Canada, but maybe passing it at some point. Now, that hasn't been true at the Olympic level, obviously. Um, but with the emergence of so many great young Americans and the recent successes they've had at the World Junior Championship and the under-18s, uh, and so many more great young Americans on the horizon, uh, this is another great draft for the Americans. Brady Kachuk and Quinn Hughes, potential top five guys. Um, next year, um, uh, Jack Hughes, uh, potentially in the mix at number one. He's just been, we've talked about him on previous podcasts. So anyways, the, the whole Canada-US thing is, it's intense. Um, there's a lot of animosity there, even though a lot of the kids play with each other in the, uh, the, uh, the Canadian Hockey League or even in college hockey, where there are a lot of Canadians as well. So um, it would be really nice to do it, but... Uh, I'm just not sure. And, and right now, for evaluation tools, remember that Canada-Russia summit that they had in the summer? Um, it was more of a mini one. I think there were two games. I forget exactly the number. But anyways, um, that was for basically an evaluation tool for Hockey Canada and the Russians to be able to pick their world junior teams. But now you've got this summer showcase tournament that happens in Plymouth, Michigan, where the U.S., Sweden, uh, Canada and usually one other country, I think the Finns um, put the, the four-team tournament, they use that instead and uh, it's it's maybe not marketed for the, the same as an eight-game or a four-game summit series type thing would be, but uh, hey, who knows, maybe down the road 
Hockey Canada and USA Hockey will do just that. Uh, Cross-border battle, you know, two games in the U.S. in August, two games in Canada in August, and use those four games to uh, to help pick their the World Junior team. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, although it is a little bit related to World Junior here. I was recently in Sudbury um, for the uh, Super Series game between the OHL Stars and the uh, the Russian touring team. In fact, it was the Monday. It was a Monday in November. It was the day of the Hall of Fame. I went to the Hall of Hockey Hall of Fame uh, luncheon that day, and I was going to go to the inductions that night. And then I decided, now nah, I I really need to go see this game. So I jumped in my car and drove the four hours up to Sudbury. And uh, obviously, Chris Nolan from Sudbury uh, saw me at that game, so he asked this question: How was your experience? of the old barn on Elgin Street. Hopefully you didn't trip going down those stairs from the press box. They are certainly treacherous. I have a friend who writes for the Sudbury Star, that from Chris uh, in Sudbury. Um, for anyone that doesn't know the uh, the old barn on Elgin Street, uh, Sudbury Memorial Arena, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah, the uh, there's a rather a straight-up set of stairs that you have to climb to get to the press box. There's a little bit of a slope to it, but not much of one. It's almost uh, it's almost a stepladder going up to the press box, and it's, it's a lot easier going up than it is coming down. But uh, fortunately, I'm well-trained uh, as a member of, as, as somebody who worked for the Sioux Star in Sioux St. Marie, Ontario in the late 70s, early 80s, covering the Sioux Greyhounds and going to games in Sudbury, uh, with the Sudbury Wolves, I became very adept at both getting up and down uh, in the press box. And, and I do do love the old rink in Sudbury. Uh, the Wolves are an organization that have really been on hard times for quite some time. But it was it's great to see Corey Stillman, the former National Hockey League player, back there as the head coach now. And uh, I think over the course of time, he'll uh, he'll do a great job coaching the Sudbury Wolves and, and getting the program pointed in the right direction. There's so I have so many great memories of uh, being in Sudbury. Um, for those that don't know it with the Wolves, um, there actually is a, a wolf, uh, stuffed wolf, on a wire. And when the Wolves score a goal, it basically slides down from the rafters towards the scoreboard. And at the same time, there's a sound effect of a howling wolf. Oh, and down it goes. Well, one year, uh, the, the wolf was going, making its appointed run down the wire. And uh, something gave way, the break. And uh, the poor wolf went face first into the, uh, the scoreboard at the Sudbury Arena and uh, kind of did some damage to its nose and knocked all its teeth out. The teeth, the game actually had to be delayed, if I remember correctly, while they picked the, the wolf teeth up off the ice. And uh, then they had to go out and, uh, and get a new uh, stuffed wolf to, uh, to, to make its appointed rounds after the wolf scored a goal. Uh, lots of other great memories there. I wasn't there for the game, but I, I want to say it would have been the 19... 79-80 season, maybe. Uh, Niagara Falls Flyers were in town. My good pal Steve Ludzik, Ludzi, a former TV star, now living in uh, Niagara Falls and doing some great work raising money for Parkinson's. Um, anyways, Ludzi was quite a colorful character, both on and off the ice. And if I remember correctly, the story goes, he's in the penalty box, and there's a Sudbury Wolves mascot 
who's a, as you'd expect, a giant wolf. So the giant wolf was taunting Ludzi in the penalty box and uh, might have been waving a mini stick at him. And Ludzi very ill-advisedly uh, reached up with his stick and conked the wolf on the head, thinking it would be pretty funny to hit a mascot, the, the big mascot head. Uh, unfortunately for Ludzi, um, he hit the head of the mascot, but he also hit the head of the young fella that was inside the mascot suit. And uh, he might have been a teenage kid. And I don't want to say he was knocked out, but I don't think he was in great shape after that, which, of course, is very serious and not to be trifled with. Um, but at the same time, now that all these years have passed, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the young man recovered nicely from it, um, it's still a pretty funny story that, uh, that Steve Ludzik uh, decided to conk the mascot on the head only to find out that uh, and, and be horrified by it. I think he was suspended uh, for, for a period of time in the OHL back then, but uh, lots of great uh, Sudbury Wolf stories. I remember going there and, and covering the games back when Joe Bowen, who's the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Joe was the play-by-play man for the Sudbury Wolves. I think his last year probably was 77, 78 or 78, 79 before he went to the Nova Scotia Voyageurs to be their voice before ultimately uh, ending up as the, the, the radio voice of the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs but uh, some great old Sudbury Wolves teams back when they the colors were green as opposed to the blue and silver they were green white and red uh, I remember Mike Felino doing the jump back there in Sudbury Dale Hunter uh, Donnie Beaupre uh, great rivalry between Sault Ste. Marie and, and Sudbury back then so um, anyways uh, as I say it's always nice to be in a place like St. Catharines uh, some great old hockey memories there and uh, it was great to be in Sudbury and uh, some uh, some memories from there should point out too there's uh, not to get too involved in politics but uh, I guess they're building a new arena in Sudbury and they had a vote in the summer whether it was going to be downtown or slightly out of town and I think it ended deadlocked if I remember correctly and the deadlock meant that it was going out of town so the vote was actually are you in favor of having a downtown arena? And I think it ended up 6-6 on city council, very hotly contested. And that meant that they weren't going downtown. They were going to an, a, a, a location on the Kingsway, which is just outside on your way into town as you're, as you're driving in from Highway 400 or 69 or whatever they call it these days. Which, again, not to get involved because I don't live in Sudbury, but man, oh man, if you've got a choice to build an arena downtown, or on the outskirts of town, downtown every time, guys. I mean, it revitalizes and, and really helps the downtown area. And I realize there were always hurdles in, to parking and existing structures and, and what have you. But boy, oh boy, uh, I, would, I would tell any city or town that's building an arena, build it downtown as opposed to something on the outskirts. And I think right now the proposal is for a casino and a hotel and an arena that the Wolves would ultimately play in on the Kingsway, just outside of downtown. But uh, I like, uh, when I go to a town to, to see a game, I like to go downtown. And if the arena's there, so much the better. We got some great listener feedback here at the Bobcast from episode six. Um, the, uh, the songs that make you stay in your car, um, we got all sorts of responses on those. And I would normally 
go through some of those right now and play some of the songs for you that people submitted. But uh, since I'm on the road and my uh, technology is limited uh, and we need a little production value for that, um, we will save that for a later edition of the Bobcast. Um, but we also did get some great listener feedback on Netflix TV series and things of that nature, which I'll get to in a second. So let's let's get to some of those as well as this uh, just very nice letter. It's not a, in the, the world we live in, it's always nice when somebody likes what you're doing. So here's the, the first listener feedback this way. This one from Martin Arnade. Greetings from Germany in the subject line. Hey, Bob, I'm a 27-year-old law student from Germany, and 10 years ago I got to spend a high school year abroad in Vancouver. Ever since I was a little boy, I was a great hockey fan, which is not very normal in soccer-dominated Germany. I went to every home game of my local team in Dusseldorf, and I still do. And my love for hockey became the biggest reason I chose Canada as the place I wanted to go. I had a wonderful year there and had an opportunity to visit two Canucks games in 2007-8. I still have the best memories of seeing the Sedin Twins live. It was a great experience. I really got to love the country, the people, and the love for their sport. Thanks to the internet, I can watch all the NHL games in Germany nowadays. And through your wonderful podcast, I still feel connected to my second homeland. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that and to feel a bit Canadian every other week. It's a great pleasure to be hearing from you 10 years after I enjoyed you so much as an analyst on TSN when I was over there. Keep up the good work. I send you best wishes, best wishes from Germany. And that from Martin Arnade. Well, thank you very much, Martin. Dankeschön, as they say. I actually did take one year of German in high school. Um, terrible at maths and sciences. Very, did very well in, with English and history. Um, and, uh, and I was always okay with languages. I, I, I don't speak French now. I wish I'd kept it up, but I, I, I was decent with French, uh, in high school in the early part of university. Um, but I decided that, uh, I would take this German the one year. So I don't really remember a lot. It's sort of like, wie geht es Ihnen? Es geht mir gut, danke. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben, acht, neun, zehn, elf, wolf. So what I said well, there was, hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. And I counted to 12. Um, beyond that, I'm sorry, Martin. I, uh, the best I can do is danke. So, uh, but in any case, it's always nice to get a nice letter from somebody in these turbulent times, uh, and that was very nice. Okay, uh, lots of TV series feedback. Um, this one, uh, interesting, I didn't realize this in, in coincidence. This is from Wolfgang Bergholzer. Now, that's a German name if ever I heard one, maybe Austrian, but in any case, Wolfgang writes, Dear Bob, thank you very much for your Bobcast. It makes my drive to and from work a good one. Thank you especially for the TV recommendations in your last episode. I've watched most of the ones you've mentioned and were very similar in taste. I'll now check out Border Town soon, though. Getting a bit of your TV taste, you might also, if you don't know it yet, check out Braun Braun, a Swedish-Danish cop show, which in English means the bridge. It's the original two, bracket, not very good, bracket, American adaptation of The Bridge. Another slow-moving one, which is really excellent, is Rectify. Anyways, thanks for all your coverage and the Bobcast. I will definitely check out Rectify. I have to tell you, Wolfgang, I started in on Braun Braun, The Bridge, um, the Swedish-Danish one, and it it didn't grab me. I'm going to have to go back and try it again because... 
I uh, had somebody else also suggest that one. I'm trying to think here. Let's see. Well, it'll come up in any case. Um, but yeah, I had somebody else also mention that that will be one that I'd like. And as I said, I started in, I got a, an episode in and I was kind of lukewarm on it and I skipped over to something else. Okay, uh, this one is from Cole in Saskatoon. Hey, Bob, in the same vein as Borderlands, Borderland and Narcos, another foreign language show on Netflix you must watch is an Israeli show called Fauda. It follows two storylines on each side of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. One side of the story is told from the Israeli Secret Service side, and the other tells the very humanizing story of the Palestinian terrorists. The series is in Hebrew, Hebrew, <laughs> The series is in Hebrew, I know how to say it, but I chose the option on Netflix to watch it with English dubbing and it didn't affect the viewing experience in the slightest. Anyways, thanks for the pod. That's an interesting one. I'd also be curious to get people's feedback on that. Somebody else told me that they, um, they've been using the English dubbing on some of these series and I never went to the English dubbing just because I don't like dubbing generally. Um, if, if, if the, if the words don't match up with their mouths, I have a tough time with it, but, um, and I don't, as I said in the last, in episode six, I really like, I don't mind subtitles at all. It doesn't bother me, but, um, I will definitely check out Fauda probably with the subtitles, but maybe I'll give dubbing a shot as well. Uh, next one here comes from Todd in Seoul, South Korea. Hi, Bob. Love the Bobcast. I'm a Toronto boy who lives in Seoul, South Korea. I get to listen to the Bobcast every other Saturday morning and will be doing while doing prep at my restaurant, a highlight of my week. First off, thanks for the British Copper Show suggestions. I love them as well. It's a genre the Brits have nailed. You touched on almost all the ones I watched, but I will recommend a series called The Five. It's written by Harlan Coben and is a quality murder mystery. Also, a U.S. show I recommend, Bosch, based on the books by Michael Conley. Um, you know, it's funny. I had meant to include Harlan Coben's The Five as part of my recommendations. And somewhere along the line in episode six, I skipped over the note on it because um, I had several people come to me and say that I want to, uh, I should get in on The Five. Already seen it. It's outstanding. And if you haven't seen it on Netflix, um, it's a story of five kids that are uh, growing up together. And uh, one of them mysteriously disappears, and then how all their lives continue to intersect 20, 30 years later. It's uh, really well done. So Harlan Coben's The Five gets the uh, the 100% Bobby Rotten Tomatoes recommendation. Uh, one more feedback here on TV shows. This from Susan Sampson. Hi, Bob. I just finished listening to your podcast that my son recommended because it seems like we have the same taste in British copper shows. You had a lot of great suggestions, and I'm glad to have some new shows to look for. I know you couldn't comment on all of them, and I'll mention three of my favorites that you missed. Shetland, Wallander, and The Five. You may have watched them also, although, as my son says, I don't know how he has the time. On a side note, from this side of the pond, Fargo is also amazing. Can't wait for season three on Netflix. Yes, I've heard many good things about Fargo. I saw the movie many moons ago. And uh, I will give Fargo a run on uh, Netflix for sure. Um, Susan mentioned The Five. We've already discussed that. Uh, Shetland and Wallander, yeah, I've seen those there. I haven't had a chance to look at those ones, so I'll put those on my list. And uh, I agree with you and your son. I don't know how I have the time either, but uh, it is uh, lots of times on planes, I guess, and uh, when I should be sleeping, I'm watching uh, Netflix series. 
Uh, final piece of listener feedback comes from Matthew. Hi, Bob. I enjoyed your discussion on the last podcast about Vikings. I've been watching Vikings since the day it premiered and was hooked instantly. I noticed that you didn't bring up the historical reference and timeline that the show takes and how it relates to actual events that happened many, many years ago. From my understanding, from my brief research and talking to other viewers, the show roughly follows the actual historical events in the grand scheme of things, with obviously some details being altered to make the show more enjoyable for the viewers. I'm sure you were already well aware of that, though. I just wanted to mention it as I really share your thoughts on Framus Fimmel's portrayal of Ragnar Lothbrok. He is without question one of my favorite characters on TV. Originally, apparently the original plan for the show was to have only Ragnar in for the first season or two as his role in the grand scheme of the Viking people supposedly was not as important as the show made it out to be. I read that the writers and everyone involved in the show love Fimmel's portrayal so much that they ended up keeping him around for much longer, which I think was totally the right call. The last half season of season four after Ragnar's death and now the two-hour premiere of season five has left me with a slightly different opinion on the show, however. I still really, really enjoy the show and the new characters and storylines, but the show doesn't captivate me and bring out the emotion like Ragnar's character did, and I find myself wanting a little more. Also, the absence of King uh, Ekbred, um, I think, will be missed as he played a very important part for several seasons. Would love to know your thoughts on the new direction of the show post-Ragnar. Well, Matthew, I do tend to agree with you. The show was completely different after Ragnar was out of it. Uh, I found his character to be completely captivating, and he really was the focal point for the show. Um, But I have moved on, and uh, the sons of Ragnar are are doing a good job here. Ivar the Boneless is... uh, is very interesting, and we still have Floki, uh, who washed up on an island that he thinks is Valhalla, and uh, uh, it's still worth its weight in gold to me. So there you have it on Vikings, and there you have it for this uh, edition of the Bobcast listener feedback. Next question comes from John LaFranco. He says, hi, Bob. Thanks for posting that Gord Downey interview on a prior Bobcast episode. You're right. It was great to hear his voice again. Uh, he mentions Brad Shaw. Bradshaw's wife, Mary, wrote a great series of hockey books for kids, Brady Brady. My son loves them. He's three years old. I would love to hear you talk about hockey literature on the Bobcast. Take care. Condolences on the loss of Gord, your friend and ours. That's from John LaFranco. Um, well, you're, you're right. Uh, Bradshaw's wife, Mary, did write a children's book called Brady Brady. I believe there's um, a few of them. And in any case, uh, Brady, Brady's all growing up now. In fact, he's a uh, first-year pro. Last I checked, he's playing in the, e- the ECHL for the Colorado Eagles after a four-year career at the University of Vermont. And uh, actually, Brady Shaw put up some real good numbers. I think it was his sophomore season in 2014-15. He had 19 goals. He scored 19 goals in hockey East. You're a pretty good hockey player. So... Um, all the best to uh, Brady Brady Shaw on his uh, professional hockey career. And I haven't read the Brady Brady books, but I've heard lots of people with young kids talk about them. Um, I can tell you this, and I, I did this on Twitter recently. Um, I don't think they're in circulation anymore, so I think you have to beg, borrow, or steal them from a, a used bookstore or go on uh, go online to try and uh, try and buy them. But when, when my sons, Mike and Sean, were, were young, I, uh, I used to enjoy, really enjoy reading to them the, uh, the Scott Young trilogy of books. 
Um, obviously, uh, the stories of, of Bill Spunskin, Pete Gordon, and uh, Boy at Leaf Camp was the last one. I think it was published in 1963. Uh, Scrubs on Skates, The Boy on Defense. Um, you know, and, and Scott Young, former hockey writer, of course, father of Neil Young. And uh, I, I love those books. And I still got them. I think they're up, up at the cottage. And I realize they're dated because uh, the values they talk about and the manner in which they're written, um, times have changed drastically since then. But you know what? It's still great storytelling and it's still uh, uh, a great book. So if you can somehow find the, uh, the Scott Young trilogy, uh, Scrubs on Skates, The Boy on Defense, and A Boy at Leaf Camp, uh, by all means, grab them if you've got young kids. And uh, one of the things I really miss was when my kids were young, being able to read them bedtime stories like that back then. So that's uh, that's hockey literature of sorts, I guess. And, um, of course, if I'm going to plug any hockey books at Christmas, I'm going to plug my own. They've... Uh, They've been out for quite some time now. Geez, Hockey Dad, I probably did that so long ago. I don't even know what year it was published. But in any case, uh, it probably would have been seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, but it's, I think it stands up pretty well. So if you can get Hockey Dad, True Confessions of a Crazy, uh, bracket, uh, question mark, bracket, <laughs> Hockey Parent, um, by all means, do so. Hockey Confidential was probably out four or five years ago. I think there's some great stories in there that still stand the test of time. And uh, I, as I say, there's not a lot in circulation, but uh, if you happen to see one, by all means. Some of the, 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 the books that are out there now, um, Craig Custance, who writes for The Athletic, um, did a great job with Behind the Bench, where he sits down with National Hockey League coaches to go over um, pivotal moments in their career and sort of revisit those and break it all down. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to read it. He just sent me in a copy the other day, um, and I'm going to get to that um, hopefully uh, soon. But from everybody I've talked to that is, have, have read them, they, they think that's the hockey book of the year. There's lots of them out there. And uh, I would encourage you to go out and buy all the hockey books um, because I can tell you this. Uh, it takes a lot of effort to write a book. Oh my God, it's hard work. And uh, you don't get an awful lot of money, relatively speaking, for it. And uh, so if you can go out and support uh, those hockey authors, um, by all means, uh, uh, get going on that, uh, especially at this time of the year when you're buying Christmas presents. Um, here's one from uh, Ryan Drury. My name's Ryan Drury, and I've been a Bobcast listener from episode one. Of all the great episodes you've done, I just wanted to say thank you for the great tribute you did to Gord Downey. Growing up, I always liked the hip, but never dove in head first. I guess I was too busy listening to Pantera, Guns N' Roses, and Tom Petty. But I grew to have an appreciation for the hip more and more as I got older, particularly in college. Anyways, the way you eloquently broke down your appreciation for the hip and your relationship with Gord was poignant and beautiful, so thanks. Here's my question. Even though Gord was mistaken in his recounting of playing against Brad Shaw and Exeter, when in fact it was David Shaw, and at the risk of name dropping, I thought you might like to know that Brad Shaw is my cousin, second to be exact. So because I've always looked up to Brad in the pursuit of my career as a sportscaster, I have two questions. First, have you ever had any interactions with Brad or had the chance to chat with him any length about the game? Second, even though he's been an assistant coach for most of his time in the NHL and currently serves under John Tortorella in Columbus, do you think he has what it takes to helm a bench as the head honcho someday? He's helped develop some big blue line stars like Petrangelo, Pareko, Jones, and Wierenski. 
and I think and hope it's a matter of time before he runs a bench. Thanks again, Bob, and keep up the great work with the Bobcast. As always, I'll be listening, and hey, maybe someday we'll cross paths and we can all get tore up together. Get all tore up together. Uh, that's from Ryan Drury, who is a news announcer slash reporter with Blackburn Radio in Wingham, Ontario. So there you go. Um, in answer to your question, Ryan, um, I've not had uh, an opportunity to spend a lot of time talking to or being with um, Bradshaw, um, but obviously well aware of who he is and uh, paths do occasionally cross, well aware of his career. And you're right, he's he's been primarily an assistant coach. That's not to say that he hasn't been a head coach. He was a head coach with the Detroit Vipers in the uh, in the old IHL there in 2000, 2001. And uh, he was also a head coach in Cincinnati in the uh, in the American League. I think he took over Cincinnati after Mike Babcock left um, back in the day. Um, but most of the time has been spent as a, an assistant coach, mostly with the St. Louis Blues in the NHL, but recently with Columbus. And I think he's got the wealth of experience that if he really wanted to be a head coach, um, he would get consideration. But you also get to the point in time, I think, sometimes where you're an assistant coach for so long that that ends up being sort of your 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 destiny unless you choose to change it. So um, right now, I think that's kind of how Brad's perceived. But if he were to want to alter that, I guess... Uh, um, you know, he could always throw his name in the in the ring for jobs when they become available for a head coach. And, and there is a fair amount of marketing that goes involved when you want to move from being a longtime assistant coach to a head coach in the National Hockey League. Okay, next question comes from Scott Lambie. Uh, hey, Bob, I've been enjoying the podcast since episode one. I always enjoy the insight and really do appreciate what you've done to help aware, help raise awareness for men's health. You have previously mentioned Dan Harris on the podcast and his book, 10% Happier. This got me thinking, mindfulness has been utilized by elite pro athletes in other sports, uh, Michael Jordan, Shaq, Kobe, and others in the NBA, the 2014 Seattle Seahawks, just to name a few. Do you have an idea of how prevalent mindfulness is in the NHL? I'm sure some practice individually, but are there any teams or organizations incorporating this technique to help give their players an extra edge? It seems that it would make sense in such a high-paced sport to help players make better split-second decisions and help other players keep their cool and not take dumb retaliatory penalties when things get heated. Thanks for the podcast. Please keep it up. Scott in Denver, and Scott tags it with Go Leafs Go. Well, you're you're right, uh, Scott. I I do like the uh, uh, the book Ten Percent Happier by Dan Harris. I've talked about that that and mindfulness on the pa- podcast in the uh, in the past. Um, I don't know of a lot of NHL players or organizations that are into stoicism. Um, Jonathan Taves is somebody who recently, in the last couple of years, has talked about stoicism and mindfulness. And uh, not surprisingly, that the guy whose nickname for a long time was Captain Sirius would uh, would maybe be uh, of of that bent to to look at mindfulness as something. I'm sure there are probably some, um, and I think it's it's becoming that much more popular. And you're absolutely right. It's it's funny when um, the mindfulness movement that that's and stoicism that's becoming much more popular. Everybody assumed that it was going to be on the business front. Um, but in large part, it has been 
in, in professional sports, especially uh, in the National Football League with guys like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and, and others. Um, speaking of book recommendations, and I've done this before, but I'll, I'll do it again. Um, there are three books written by Ryan Holiday. Uh, one is called The Obstacle is the Way. The second one is Ego is the Enemy. And the third is The Daily Stoic. And um, if, if you happen to go down the Stoicism rabbit hole, um, and, and when people, a lot of people, well, what's Stoicism? I'm not going to try to explain it in 30 seconds or less because I probably couldn't. But it's basically concentrating on, on being mindful of the moments, the living in the moment as much as you can, and basically controlling what you can control and not worrying about all the other things that you can't control and not letting them cloud your judgment. And it's, it's all about perception and, and nothing good or bad happens to you. Um, things happen to you. They are neither good nor bad. It's how you perceive them. If you perceive them to be bad, then they are bad. If you perceive them to be good, then they are good. But if you don't perceive them to be either and just treat them for what they are, um, opportunities and moments, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said. Anyways, I'm probably a really lousy stoic, but I try really, really hard to incorporate a lot of that into my everyday life. And uh, I really enjoyed those books, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and The Daily Stoic, and highly recommend them uh, to anybody who wants to explore that, uh, that end of things with mindfulness and stoicism. Well, this really is the international edition of the Bobcast. Uh, this next question kind of illustrates that. Thanks, Bob, for doing the Bobcast. It has really provided some great hockey information while I backpack Europe. If you have ever wondered if your podcast has been listened to in the hills of Albania, well, it has. My question is, do you think there is any desire to change the Hockey Hall of Fame inductee format, as in Major League Baseball, where sometimes no one gets in, or maybe changing the date of the induction so the attention does not compete against the NHL schedule, maybe do it during the NHL All-Star break. This from John, currently in Marrakesh, Morocco. So, John, we could say that he's on the Marrakesh Express, or not. In any case, actually, John's email came in mid-November, so he was in Marrakesh. Who knows where the hell he is now? But in any case, thank you, John. Happy to hear that the podcast, the Bobcast, is being listened to in the hills of Albania or in Marrakesh, Morocco. Uh, good stuff. Okay, here's the thing I'm, I'm actually on the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee. Um, and it's funny when you ask the question about in Major League Baseball, which I'm not really familiar with the, their, their Hall of Fame stuff, but I, I guess the intimation here from John is that it's conceivable that no one could get in in a given year in Major League Baseball. And um, and that, so I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if that can happen with the uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee. And being a member of that selection committee, I thought, maybe I should find out. So I, uh, I emailed Jeff Denemy, who, uh, who handles such things for the Hockey Hall of Fame and does a tremendous job in terms of the administration and overseeing of the, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee stuff. And uh, he emailed me uh, basically a copy of the bylaws, specifically bylaw number 26, subparagraph 29B, if you're counting, 
John from Marrakesh, and uh, D actually, and it says, notwithstanding the maximum number of candidates established pursuant to paragraph 26 above, which you don't know about, that's fine, there shall be no requirement that any candidate or any particular number of candidates in any category necessarily be elected. So what that basically says is that, yeah, if, 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 uh, if a player, if the players who are nominated don't get the requisite 14 out of 18 votes during a selection committee meeting, um, then they don't get in. There, there would be no players admitted. So it is conceivable for that to happen. Now, as for scheduling of the actual induction ceremony, it, uh, it usually happens on the second Monday in November. It's, uh, um, and, and, and John's right. Historically, there used to be, it used to be a busy night in the National Hockey League. And I, I used to find it frustrating as a guy who would go to the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies because I just like to go to them and, and honor the guys that are being on, uh, inducted. Um, that oftentimes there were multiple NHL games on that night. The National Hockey League has done a much better job in recent years of scheduling very few games on on the Monday night of the induction ceremony. And it allows everybody to focus on that. Now, there's, you know, it's not zero games. Maybe it should be zero games to, to fully uh, to give the full undivided attention of the hockey world to the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies on that Monday in November. But um, I don't think there's a, a better time to do it. I, I seem to think the, that that month works pretty well. Um, and I think it would get even more lost in an all-star weekend or something along those lines. So um, anyways, that's, uh, that's your Hall of Fame update. Here's a prospect question. This one from uh, Joe from New Jersey. Okay, Joe from New Jersey says, Hey, Bob, what do you make of the mishandling of Nikita Papagayev in Prince George, who is now playing in Russia? Will this benefit him better than developing in the CHL, playing against men and former NHL talent? Okay, that from Joe in Jersey. Uh, and, and Joe from Jersey is obviously asking because Nikita Papagayev is a six foot six, two hundred and seventeen pound forward who was taken in the fourth round of the two thousand and seventeen NHL draft by the New Jersey Devils, ninety eighth overall, and um, had a really good draft year uh, in the Western Hockey League. He uh, started out last season playing very well for the uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. He had twenty two goals and fifty one points in forty games with Moose Jaw, uh, and then he found himself traded to Prince George. And in 31 games the rest of the way, so that's nine less games than he played in Moose Jaw, he only had seven goals and 18 points. So the change of scenery certainly didn't um, didn't agree with Nikita Papagayev, not to be confused with Nick Papagiorgio. Um, but in any case, and not to be confused, now I also found out in the last hour, that there's two Nikita Papagayevs. And how confusing is this? So the Russians named their um, preliminary roster for the World Junior Championship. And uh, so they did the Russians that are playing in Russia first, and then they added the 10 names or so that are playing in North America. Anyways, they had an injury to one of the players that was in Russia. So they added Nikita Papagayev. 
And the first thing I read when they added Nikita Papagayev is it's not the Nikita Papagayev who played for Prince George in the Western League. It's a different Nikita Papagayev. So who knew? Nikita Papagayevs are popping up everywhere. So the the gist of this whole story, though, is that starting this season, uh, the uh, the Prince George Nikita Papagayev started this season with the um, the Cougars, and he only had two goals and seven points in 13 games, and there were talked that he wasn't happy with how things were going in Prince George, how he was being treated or what have you, and uh, obviously wasn't being as prolific in Prince George as he was in Moose Jaw. And I think there was some talk in Prince George, if I remember correctly, as I read some of what was on on stories from the Western League at the time, gave him the option of maybe being traded to, to another team in the Western Hockey League, but he decided to pack up and head home to Russia. Now, He's um, he's back in Russia, and uh, but he's not playing full time in the KHL. So, in answer to your question, Joe from Jersey, uh, he's playing at the lower levels in in Russia, and um, you know he it's anybody's best guess whether he'd be better off developing with a different CHL team other than Prince George, where he wasn't happy, or back in Russia. But in any case, because he was drafted out of the CHL, I'm going to assume. And I'll double check this later and uh, come back on the next Bobcast and correct it if I'm wrong. But it uh, looks to me like the the Devils will only own his rights for a two-year period, um, even though he's uh, playing in Europe now and because he was drafted out of the CHL. So I would assume he's considered a CHL player uh, in terms of the draft. In, in any case, uh, the Devils think you know he's got a chance to be a pro. Um, I mean, last year there were there was talk at points last year where he was he was being projected as a solid first round pick. I mean, you're six foot six, two hundred seventeen pounds, and when he's on his game, he's a handful. He's a very exciting uh, player, and um, you know, looks like he's got all the tools to be a real good offensive player with 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 big size, but uh, wildly inconsistent and the competitiveness that goes from 100 to zero real quick. So um, we'll see what uh, what the Devils plan to do with him long-term, but for now they're just letting him develop and uh, see where things go with uh, that Nikita Papagayev. Okay, here's a question from Andrew Harris. Hi, Bob. Not sure if you are able to or even allowed to answer this, but I'd figure I'd give it a shot. Well, before I read you the question, I can tell you this, Andrew. I'm able and allowed to answer pretty much anything, I would think. I might dance around something now and again, but I'll give you an answer of some kind. Anyways, here's Andrew's question. I was wondering what you make of the excessive Toronto Maple Leaf coverage by TSN and Sportsnet. As you know, Toronto is the largest metropolitan area in the country, and each of Bell and Rogers owns an identical stake in the team. Therefore, it follows that they would receive more coverage. As somebody who is completely impartial, as you've stated before, does the need to constantly cover the Leafs ever annoy you? In addition, what do you say to fans of other Canadian teams who are constantly annoyed with this Leafs coverage? Do you understand where they're coming from? Being from Vancouver, the only reason I get annoyed with the Leafs coverage is because I want to know what's going on in the entire league, not just Toronto. 
the fact that the Leafs coverage comes in place of Canucks coverage doesn't particularly bother me as we have a ton of local guys, Jeff Patterson, Jason Botchford, etc., who do a great job covering the team. Thanks for answering my question and congratulations on the birth of your granddaughter, Andrew from Vancouver. Well, great question, Andrew. Yes, TSN, the Toronto Sports Network. That's what everybody says. Um, um, fair enough. There's no question. Um, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs get a significant amount of coverage on TSN and Sportsnet. Um, but I don't think it has anything to do with the, the ownership, to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's zero. The, the whole fact that Bell and Rogers own half of um, uh, split the, the ownership of, uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, I really don't think that's the rationale for why the Toronto Maple Leafs get a lot of coverage on TSN or Sportsnet. And, and I'll, I'll speak directly to TSN because that's where I work. Um, Leafs get a lot of coverage on TSN because there's a lot of Leaf fans. And specifically, if you're talking about what I call the early sports center, and then we got a 5 p.m. edition of Sports Center, and then, pardon the interruption, comes on at 5.30, and then 6 o'clock Sports Center from 6 to 7. The, the, the 5 o'clock Sports Center and the 6 o'clock Sports Center just for for Andrew in Vancouver, those shows are on at 2 in the afternoon and 3 in the afternoon in Vancouver. So I think it's fair to assume that the most significant portion of the early Sports Center audience, 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock Eastern on sports uh, on, on TSN, is, uh, is, is, is heavily inundated with Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Uh, from the greater Toronto area. That's not to say that there aren't fans of other teams. I'm not saying that. But there's no question if you were to do uh, break down the ratings, uh, a huge amount, huge percentage of those that watch the 5 or 6 o'clock Sports Centre would be from Toronto. Therefore, I believe that's the reason that quite often Leaf News may dominate in those situations. Um, similar situation on tsn.ca to varying degrees. If you put up a Toronto Maple Leaf story on tsn.ca, at the end of the day, it's probably going to get uh, a lot more hits than any other. Uh, and I, I think there, there's plenty of balance. Is there more Toronto coverage? Yeah, probably there is. And I do sometimes joke about it with our guys. They'll ask me sometimes, we want you to come on the 5 or the 6 o'clock Sports Centre and talk about this, and I'll give them the gears and call them the Toronto Sports Network. Um, but it's understandable, and and to Andrew's point, I think he's absolutely right. Vancouver has a great and thriving media market. They've got two radio stations there now, two all-sports radio stations, TSN and Sportsnet, um, and, and the Vancouver media is intense, as in doing an intensive job. Um, I don't know that there's a better game story than the way Jason Botchford and the guys at the province present the Pravis. Um, once you figure out who they're talking about half the time, there's a lot of inside jokes, and and it is designed to be snarky and smartass and all those things that Botch um, prides himself on being. But it, it is fascinating way to uh, presentation of, of game information that's, that's absolutely unique. So I think the Vancouver market is is really served very well by all their, their people there. Um, but, 
you know, what I would also say is this, though, that that, yeah, there are times when when the, the whole Toronto thing's a little overboard on TSN, but not nearly to the degree that people say it is. And in fact, the only bigger cliche than calling TSN the Toronto Sports Network is the over the top reaction from insecure people across Canada who think everything um, always revolves back to the fact that because TSN and, and Sportsnet are located in Toronto, that all they do is cover uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs or Toronto sports. Um, examples. I'm on Vancouver radio talking about Brock Besser. And and it was when he first was putting his points together and starting to climb up. And the Vancouver market desperately wanted everybody to say that Brock Besser was the leading candidate uh, for the rookie of the year, which he is now, by the way. But, and 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 substantially so, given the fact that he leagues, he's not only a point-a-game player, but the 16 goals that he's got are far and away the most goals of any rookie. And that's not to say the race is over, because um, there's a long way to go here. And Matthew Barzell and Clayton Keller and Charlie McAvoy and Mikhail Sergachev and the list goes on and on um, will be a competitive situation. But if Besser keeps going at the rate he's going to go, uh, he'll win it, and he's most certainly the front runner. But anyways, I digress. A number of weeks ago, when he wasn't the absolute front runner in my mind, and Clayton Keller was still very much at the fore of any rookie talk, and I said that on Vancouver radio, I, I my mentions were hilarious. There were literally, if there weren't a hundred of them, there were close to it, and it was all about, well, you, you wouldn't say that if it was Austin Matthews, and I mean. I don't have a bias for Toronto. I don't care about the Toronto Maple Leafs any more than I care about the Vancouver Canucks. I don't like or dislike any team in the National Hockey League or any individual players. Um, you're talking to a guy who, when Sidney Crosby got the golden goal in Vancouver at the Olympics, might have been the only guy in the arena that didn't jump up and celebrate because I don't do that, because I don't get emotionally invested, even in international hockey, um, anymore. And I certainly don't do it in in the NHL. So if I said that about Brock Besser, that's because what that's what I felt. And and the 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 extraordinary reaction, relatively speaking, it's hard to get fifty or seventy five mentions on one topic, even on my Twitter feed. Um, but I managed to do it by talking about Besser, and almost all of them from Vancouver fans all went back to, "Oh, you didn't do that with Austin Matthews and Toronto Sports Network if it was a Leaf." And and the only reason I laugh at that is because the amount of coverage that Brock Besser is getting from the Vancouver media, and rightfully so, is at least as great, if not greater, than what Austin Matthews got from the Toronto media when Austin Matthews was doing what he was doing. So the reason sometimes coverage is over the top is because what the player is doing is over the top. And there isn't anybody in Canada who's going to agree with that because there are people in Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary and Winnipeg and Montreal and Ottawa and you name it, who are going to say that everything at TSN and or Sportsnet revolves entirely around the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I know that's not true. And, and I laugh too. I do Toronto Maple Leaf regional games. They're in the Leaf region. And as I do the game, during sometimes on Twitter, I'll get mentions where people are saying, all you're doing is talking about the Leafs on this broadcast. Well, duh, it's a Toronto Maple Leaf regional broadcast. Do you think when they do, do you think when John Garrett 
does a Vancouver Canuck regional game that he's going to be talking about the Ottawa Senators? Come on. Anyways, um, that's the uh, that's the Toronto Sports Network conversation, and uh, I mostly laugh about it, but uh, there are times, and and as I say, it goes back to. Uh, goes back to the fact that uh, there's a rather large number of Leaf fans that, uh, that drive ratings and clicks and what have you, and that's, uh, that's probably just good business for a lot of people. All righty then, final question for the Bobcast, and in a very similar vein to the last one. This one, the honour of the last question, goes to Christine Johnson, who in late November sent this question to me. Why don't you focus on the Canadian teams other than Toronto Maple Leafs, the Ottawa Senators, the Montreal Canadiens, and the Edmonton Oilers? This morning, I was hoping to see highlights from the Jets game, only to hear a long-winded piece on Carey Price's presumed comeback. Good grief. The Jets are one of the hottest teams in the market, beating Minnesota 7-2. I had to Google to get this information. And not a peep. With the exception of Edmonton, it is time to get your heads out of your collective Eastern asses and report real hockey news. Signed, Christine Johnson. I hope I emphasized and read that with the proper amount of vitriol from Christine, which just goes to show you that no matter where you're located in Canada, somebody's not happy. So now we were doing a Carey Price piece, and Christine didn't like the fact that the Jets highlights were buried on on the sports center that she was obviously watching and she wasn't very happy about so as i say that just reinforces my old saw in 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 sports is that somebody's always unhappy now having said that christine i absolutely share your pain and i'm going to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction here and i've got to be really really careful because as i said i'm not afraid to answer just about any question or offer up an opinion but since I might get a little critical of my employer here, um, I'm going to have to make sure I watch my P's and Q's very carefully. First off, let, let's talk a little bit about um, highlights and getting information, news and information on the National Hockey League. Um, back in the good old days, the original 21, if you want to call it that, um, you know, I would watch Sports Center. And the highlights were pretty straightforward. Um, in Canada, uh, hockey was king. And if there were a bunch of hockey games that night in the National Hockey League, uh, at late that night or the next morning on the morning loop, if you put on Sports Center or Sports Desk back in the old days at TSN, and you wanted to see the hockey highlights, you could pretty much guarantee that they were leading with hockey highlights. And if there were 10 games in the National Hockey League last night, then there'd be 10 games of highlights, boom, 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 away we go. But times have changed, and I understand times have changed. And, um, and as somebody who's um, old and who only likes hockey, I do kind of long for the days when, when turning on a show like Sports Desk or now Sports Center, um, I would be treated to what it was that I wanted to see. But I've also got to recognize that our society and our culture and our sporting world has become much, much more cosmopolitan. And even though hockey is still king in Canada, it, uh, things are presented in a much different fashion. So obviously now when you turn on any highlight show, 
Um, not all the hockey highlights are going to be first. Um, it might be, you know, soccer, TFC. It might be the CFL. Uh, on a Monday morning, it might be stuff that happens in the National Football League. Um, it, it could be the Toronto Blue Jays. It could be Major League Baseball. It could be golf. It could be Tiger Woods. It could be the NBA. It, it, it could be just about anything. There are the, 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 the growth of sports across the, the board to all sections of society in Canada have be, has, has become huge. And so when I turn on the highlights now, I, a highlight show, I recognize that I have to bide my time to get my hockey highlights. So you might get the main game or two from the Canadian teams that were playing last night fairly early in Sports Center, but it's going to take over the course of the next hour to get to all the games. And because there are so many things that are being covered, the highlights aren't like they used to be. If it was a 5-4 game 25 years ago and you were watching highlights, you'd probably see all nine goals. Um, now you get a lot of, okay, here we go, uh, Winnipeg-Minnesota game. Uh, let's pick this up in the third period, 3-2 for Winnipeg. And I'm watching, and I'm like, no, let's not pick it up at 3-2 in the third period. Let's go back to the beginning and see what happened here, because I want to see all the highlights. But that's just not the way it works anymore. No, it's not, it's not a TSN thing. It's a, you know, that's across the board. ESPN, Fox, TSN, Sportsnet. Um, everybody's attention spans have diminished. Things need to be shorter. They need to be punchier. Uh, and you do get a lot of, let's pick it up at this point in the game. Um, so anyways, to, to my point about somebody's always unhappy, I'm the unhappy guy because here's what I want. What I want is to wake up in the morning and in my perfect world, I want a half-hour highlight show that focuses only on the hockey highlights and tells the story and shows me most of the goals that happened. But also, if there's a controversial hit that might be a suspension, I want to see it. Also, if there was a controversial video review, I want to see all the angles, the overhead, was the puck across the line, was it goalie interference, was it offside, whatever the game story was, I want to see it. And... Now, some of those individual things you will see if our guys at SportsCenter are doing their jobs, and they do a fantastic job. SportsCenter, don't, do not get this wrong. I'm not criticizing the guys that do SportsCenter. Kenny Volden and his crew at TSN do a magnificent job, but I don't care about other sports. And I want to see more than just one or two highlights from this hockey game or that hockey game, especially even if it involves two American teams. So is it too much to ask? No, it's not because there was a perfect show that did that for me. And it was called That's Hockey Tonight. Now, That's Hockey Tonight no longer exists. It got canceled for all intents and purposes, I guess. And I understand why. Um, we were fortunate enough at TSN to have Jay and Dan come back from the States and so Jay and Dan have a show, and it's fantastic. And I'm happy the boys are back. Love them to death. And I watch Jay and Dan, and it's a very good show, and they're funny, and they do a really good job. And, and I really think their show is, is well done, it's well written, it's funny, and it's informative. But when I wake up in the morning, I need a half-hour show 
that has just hockey highlights and it doesn't really exist. Now, I should also point out, outside of Jay and Dan, Kate and Natasha or Dutchie and Jen or all the sports center anchors that are out there, they do a fantastic job. I think one of the things that makes TSN as great a network as it is and one of the reasons why I'm so proud to be part of TSN is that the on-air talent, in my mind, is second to none. They do a fantastic job. But the nature of the beast is that hockey highlights get spread throughout the show, and there's only so much time to be devoted, and you can't see all the highlights all the time. But I could when that's hockey tonight was on the air, and it's not on the air anymore. So I miss Glenn Sheeler or Mark Rowe or Tessa Bonham, and I miss having Dave Poulin or Craig Button or Jamie McLennan and Noodles on that half-hour show. And I know there's a morning highlight show on another network that shall remain nameless, but they do a lot of the same things. On a, on a Monday, it's all NFL, and you know, let's pick it up in the third period with the score 3-2. And, or they miss the, the, the controversial goal or the controversial hit. Anyways, so to your point, Christine Johnson, I fully understand your level of frustration. I share your level of frustration because I had a half-hour hockey highlight show that worked for me and it no longer exists. And now I have to go to a lot of different places. Now, the NH- some people would say the NHL network does a great job and I'm sure they do, but the NHL network is no longer available in Canada. And even when it was, they had an hour show and, and they would do really intensive, really detailed highlights, but I didn't have an hour to give to that. I needed a half hour. So that's hockey tonight was absolutely perfect. In my mind, I miss it every day, I, but there's nothing I can do. I'm just one man, and like Christine Johnson, I can write a letter to somebody and complain. But uh, anyways, that is what it is. And uh, in the meantime, oh, somebody would say one more thing. They go, go to NHL.com. They've got great four or five-minute highlight packs on NHL.com and on the uh, the NHL package on my uh, my iPad and 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 you're right there is a pretty good five four or five minute highlight pack but guess what you don't get fights if there's a fight you don't get controversy if there's controversy because it's on NHL.com which is understandable I understand the NHL's policy on stuff like that um, so anyways um, I miss that's hockey tonight. And that's all I've got to say about the matter. Just as Christine didn't like her Winnipeg Jet highlights getting buried, just as some people have got complaints about this or that, so do I. So there you have it. Well, I hate to sound like a Scrooge at this time of the year, so uh, let's end this podcast on a much more uh, festive note, uh, if you will. Um, It is a great time of the year. It's all about uh, family and friends. Uh, Whatever you choose to celebrate or not, At this time of the year, I wish you nothing but health and happiness, and uh, hopefully you will get to spend it uh, with your loved ones. Um, I know the best part of uh, Christmas at the McKenzie household is for uh, Sean and Mike and uh, and their significant others uh, to come back and and spend some time at our place with uh, my beautiful wife, Cindy, and myself. And uh, of course, this will be the first Christmas that baby Blake, our granddaughter, is with us. So um, simply just leave you with this. Peace and love. Peace and love. All the best. And uh, we'll come back at you with the next podcast after Christmas. Take care.
Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time and have a great weekend.